of you are a middle child? Let me see your hands. All right, so am I. Now, if, if you're old enough to remember, it was no fun being a middle child because of Jan Brady, right? Nobody wanted to be Jan Brady. And my sister knew that. And she would, you know, she would say things to me like, you know, like that. And, and just, you know, constantly. We're not the first ones that get to go and do all the fun stuff first. We're not the baby that gets coddled and they get to do stuff, you know, before they're supposed to. That middle age, that middle child, oh, man, it was, it was tough. I want to talk to you today about the middle. And how many of you, you probably have said this, you know, uh, at least once in your life, that I feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Or how many of you, uh, don't raise your hand if this is you, but you know somebody who's gone through that midlife crisis. You can always tell them they're the ones with the, you know, those older gentlemen with the flashy car. And, and usually, you know, they've dyed their hair. They got the shirt that's open with the chains on. And you just look and you're just going, oh, my gosh, it's just midlife crisis. You're going to get over this soon. Um, or maybe you've, you know, been that midpoint on a hike. And you've given everything you have to get to that place. And then all of a sudden the realization comes, you got to go back. My daughter's getting married in five months. <laughs> to an awesome man of God. And um, so they're doing a destination wedding. So they want, to, they want to get married like on a mountain or, you know, Mountain View or whatever. So we had gone, my daughter and, and um, Anna and I had gone out, and we were going to scope out some areas. So we're like, we're just going to just hike a little bit out here because we're going to find the great place and to do it. And about, I lied this morning, I said halfway, but it was probably not even, then I said a quarter because I felt guilty that I would tell the truth. I don't even think it was a quarter of the way through. But I'm, I, we're walking on this, on this hike, and, and I, I, all of a sudden I started looking back, and I'm out of breath, and I'm like, you know, Max's grandma will never make this trail. And I said, I'm so, sorry, Juanita, I had to use you when I was on that trail. And I'm, I was thinking of you. No, actually, I thought of myself first. But then I thought of you. And then, like, halfway through, I was like, you know what, just leave me. Search and rescue, I'm sure, comes through every once in a while. <laughs> There's coyotes. We'll, you know, something's going to happen. But it's that middle place that is uncomfortable. Girls, we're not in our teen jeans no more. But hopefully we're not in the elastic waist mama jeans yet. So we don't know whether to be happy or whether to be sad. It's that middle place, that uncomfortable place. And I have found that, you know, usually when I'm in this middle places, you know, I, I, I find myself looking to the past. Either I do it with nostalgia or I do it with regret because there's some things I wish I would have done, things I wish I wouldn't have done. And then there's also that place where I'm looking and I'm longing for something that's in the future that just seems like it's just out of reach. So we tend to miss what God has for us in the middle. It can feel like a place of waiting and a place of testing. And it seems like life is happening for everybody else around us, but God has forgotten about us. 
I can feel that way, and I know that there's people here that feel that way. It feels like as if we're in a forever waiting season. But listen to this. A waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season. Amen? A waiting season doesn't have to be a wasted season because there's so much that God wants to show us. He wants to teach us, reveal to us. He wants to mature us in some things. If we don't grow weary while we're waiting in the middle. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. John 5, 17 in the Amplified says this. It says, but Jesus answered them. My father has been working until now. He has never ceased working. And I too am working. See, in the middle season, it's not the time to give up. Because God is working on your miracle. He has never ceased working on your next step. If you don't lose heart. And what Galatians is saying is it depends on you doing something too. If you don't give up, the middle season is that time where God expects us to be patient. He expects us to be doing something. And maybe the doing is just you guarding your mouth and your mind. Because we can get so easy at complaining. Now, let me tell you a story. This is a true story. It was in the news. There was a man in Atlanta, Georgia, and he went and he robbed a Wendy's store. And when he got home and he looked at how much he he had gotten, there was $120 in his bag. Well, he started getting upset. He started complaining. Wendy's only has $120 in their register. This is ridiculous. He gets on the phone. He calls Wendy's up. He asks to talk to the manager so he could complain that there was only $120 in the register when he robbed it. The police got the caller ID, tracked him down, and arrested him. Now, let me tell you another one. True story. In New York, a guy goes and he robs a bank, and he gets away with $20,000. He goes home, and as he was sitting there, he started to think about some things. He started to think that, you know what? They took a really long time emptying out that register. And you know what? They seemed like they were dragging their feet with my demands. And you know what? That bank really does have lousy service. And you know what I'm going to do? I am going to call that bank, and I am going to go down. No, actually, he said, I'm not going to call. I'm going to go down to that bank because that manager needs to know what poor service they give their customers at the bank. He jumps in his car. He goes back down. He has to meet with the manager. He sits down with the manager. And as he's beginning to complain about the horrible service at their bank, they saw that the car that he had came in was the same car on the surveillance camera that they saw the bank robber get into. The manager kept him talking until the police came and arrested him. That's because we can get in that place of complaining. We get so upset about the timing We get so upset that we have to wait. We get so upset that we don't see the results that we want. And we get so upset when there's pressure applied in our lives. But God has never stopped providing. He has never stopped doing. He has never stopped lining up things in your life. And he has never stopped waiting on us. He's never stopped waiting for us to close our mouth. Maybe to get our thoughts in the right attitude, our mouth speaking the right things. God has never stopped. In Exodus 6, 
in verse 6 through 9, it says this. Therefore, now God is talking to Moses. And God is saying, therefore, say to the children, he's telling Moses, this is what I want you to tell the children of Israel. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give, to, give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Wow. Can you imagine God is just like, this is what I'm going to do for my kids. And Moses, is, he's hearing all this stuff, and he's like, yes, God, I'm going to go tell those Israelites. I'm going to tell them what you're going to do for them. But in verse 9, it says, so Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Another version says this, they wouldn't listen because of their impatience, their discouragement. God is letting them in on these miracles he's about to do for them. He's going to deliver them. He's establishing his promises. He, he's going to do all this stuff, but they could not grasp the magnitude of what God was about to do in their lives because they were stuck in the middle of their circumstances and they didn't see a way out. They saw no hope. They couldn't see that God was ready to put them into a new season. Now, moms, we get that newborn baby. They smell so amazing. And something just triggers in us. We become these super moms. We're like nursing and we're, we're making their own food from scratch. And we don't let nobody touch them because we don't want the germs on them. You know, we're online and we're discovering all these things that could just make us the perfect mom. And let me just say this. If I, I, I did this first service and we have to do a second. If you are a mom here and you raised your kids without internet, would you just stand up? You need a second, a second applause. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look at all these moms. You are amazing. Go ahead and sit down. We, you know what? I mean, our kids, you know, they, they, you know, if they, you know, made this weird noise, we were just, you know, nowadays they go, oh, weird noise. Look up online. Child did this. They looked at, you know, we were just going, just watch. If they don't turn blue, we're good. We're, we're good. <laughs> we had nobody to look, nothing to look up. You had to ask mom and half the time mom didn't have a clue. She was just thankful you survived. You know, we put, we take the babies, they're crying, and we just put them in, their, our, in our arms, and we just bounce them as we walk through the house singing lullabies to them. And we just look at them and say, I can't wait till you get old enough, and we have talks, and this is just going to be great. Then we get to the middle, and we're just hoping that a happy meal really does hold up to that word because nothing is making that child happy, and maybe a happy meal can do it. We will pass that child off to anybody just so we have a moment peace. <laughs> and there's no lullabies. We're just crying right along with those kids. We put them in those little bouncy chair and we just put our foot on it and shake it. You know, please, please just go back to sleep. And they won't stop talking. They're just a million questions. You're like, go, talk, go ask your dad. I don't. I don't know anymore. <laughs> then... The next 
middle. Now they're teenagers. They won't talk to you again. They just roll your, their eyes at you because they can't believe how stupid you are. <laughs> then they grow up. And then you don't know, they're living their life, where do I, it's like a double dutch. Do I fit in your life? Do I not? Can, can I say something? Do I not say something? Poor Nick, I'm, uh, Pastor Nick, I was so, I felt so bad. I mean, the man had been married for, you know, four years, and he came to work one day, and immediately I was just like, hey, Nick, it's cold outside. You might want to wear your jacket out. And he just kind of looked at me, and he, he, he instantly flipped back to a teenager. He just rolled his eyes at how stupid I was, but... We don't know. As moms, we're always moms. It does not matter how old our kids get. How do you turn it off? So we get in that middle. We, we don't quite know where do we fit into their lives. Or maybe you're a single person here today, and everybody around you is getting married, and you feel like only the crazies are left to choose from. Or maybe you've been in that job for so long, and they have passed you up way too many times for, for that promotion. Or maybe you're dealing with sickness in your body and, you know, and you just don't know if you've got the strength to keep going. See, all these middle seasons can become so overwhelming if we don't just stop for a second, take a breath, and remember that God has, it never ceases to establish miracles in our life. The promises of his word are established. They are yes, and they are so be it in our lives. So no matter what middle you're in, God's got a promise for you. Now, to save time, I'm not going to read the whole story, but in 2 Kings 4, it talks about Elijah and the Shunammite woman. And this woman was taking care of Elijah every time he came into town. And she would feed him. She would take care of him. She would, you know, just do whatever she could for him. And then she talked to her husband. She said, you know, he comes through here all the time, and I really want to take care of this man of God. So let's build him a separate bedroom so he can have a bed and a table and a lamp, and I'll design it all, and I'll, you know, I'll help, you know, get it all set up for him. Because the Word of God says, and regularly, Elisha came and he stayed with them. So Elijah wanted to do something for the Shunammite woman to just say thank you. And he was, you know, talking with the servant and just saying, you know, maybe we could do this or this. And she was like, no, I'm good about that. And then the servant said, you know what? Her husband is old and she's always wanted a child. He said, that's it. So he says to the woman, he said, by this time next year, you're going to have a baby. And she was like, don't put my hopes up. And he goes, no, this is the word of God. So a year later, Elisha comes through. There she is. She's got this baby. And she is happy. She is wonderful. And the word of God says the baby grew. Now, some people say that the, chi or the child was about um, 15 years old. He goes out into the field where his dad and some servants were working. And he grabs his head and he begins to say, my head, my head. And he was in a lot of pain. And the dad says to the servant, take him into his mom. So they bring the child, this this teenager in and the mom's holding him and he dies in her arms and here's the amazing thing that this woman does is that she takes this child and she takes him into Elijah's room lays him on the bed closes the door she goes out to her husband and she says I need a donkey and I need a servant I gotta go find the man of God and he goes, well, why are you, you know, it's not the Sabbath, you know, it's not this. Why are you going to go? And all she responds back to him is, it is well. Now, I don't know about you, but if that would have happened to me, first of all, you would have heard me screaming probably from far and wide. 
And then I don't think I would go to my husband, the father, and just, not, and just say to him, it is well. But this woman had a revelation on the inside of her. She understood the promises of God. She understood what the man of God had said in her life, that you were going to have a child. So she said, it is well. And she gets on there. She gets, with the, she gets on the donkey. She, uh, it says to the servant that she's with, she says, drive and go forward. Everybody say forward. She says, and go as fast as you can until I say I can't go any, you know, I can't handle it. But you just keep going as fast as you can. Go forward. And she, uh, she sees Elijah from far away. And Elijah goes, you know what? That's the Shunammite woman. He says to the servant, go and meet up with her and ask her, is it well with your husband? Is it well with you? And is it well with the child? And when the servant came in, he asked that Ask, ask the, the, the woman those three questions. She replies, it is well. She goes to the man of God. And she begins to say, the child that you prophesied over has died. I need this miracle. And, the, and, and Elisha says to her, well, go with my servant. And I'm going to give him this rod. He's going to lay it on the child. And she says these words. She says, I don't care what you say or what you do. I am hanging on to you, man of God. She knew where the miracle was. Elijah goes with her to the house. He prays for the child. Nothing happens. But she still has the it is well attitude. Elijah walks around the house a few times. He goes back in. He lays on the child. He prays for the child. The word of God says the child sneezes seven times and comes back to life. It was a miracle. And in this story, there's a couple of middles that take that takes place for her. There's a couple of seasons that take place for her. First of all, the first season. She was in a season of just giving. She was cooking. She was cleaning, she was preparing, she was designing, she was doing all these things for the man of God, not knowing that God was orchestrating in that middle season of her life when it was just all about just cooking some food and cleaning the house. Not, under, not realizing that God was orchestrating a miracle for her child one day. Then she goes into the next middle season of her life when she has this child. And in that middle, in that, that place between a rock and a hard place, when that child dies, she has already had the, she has a revelation. I have seen what Elijah's God can do. I have housed him. I have fed him. I have cleaned for him. I have cleaned up after him. I have heard him talk about God. I've seen the miraculous things happen through his ministry that she was able in those times not to get into a place of complaining, not to get into a place of where is God? He has forgotten about me. But a place of understanding that in that middle season, because she has been that, that, that place of understanding that God is a promise-keeping God, she was able to walk through that season of her life in frustration and turmoil to say it is well. See, God is always working on your miracle, even when you don't even know that you need a miracle. There are some of you that are in a middle season right now and you are just so frustrated because you feel like I've just been here for so long. Nothing is taking place in my life. And you don't understand that God, while he has you in that middle place, is orchestrating something big for you over here if you will not lose heart. Just be faithful in the middle. Um, Psalms 23 
We all know that. But in verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, God expects us to walk through. God expects us to do something. And if that something means that I have to walk through this thing, it might not be a fast pace, it might seem like I'm crawling, but I don't have to stay in a place of frustration and I don't have to stay in a place where I feel like God has forgotten about me. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And now I know that in that verse... It, you know, it says yay at the beginning, and I know that that's more like hey, you know, just trying to get your attention. But I love the way it's, the way it's written because I take it as yay because I want that attitude. Yay, I get to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because the yay means I'm walking through. I will get to the other side if I don't give up, and so will you. See, God knows you're able to walk through. The problem is we don't think we can walk through. We lose heart. We sit down. We go backwards during the middle of those hard times in our life. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is already thinking about your future. God has already planned the hopes in your life. If you will not give up when things get hard, when things seem like they're pressing in around you. Psalms 34, 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Everybody say, Yay! I'm walking through. The afflictions, amen? It says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of one or two of them. All. Anything that you're facing today, God says that he will deliver you out of them all. See, God is a master at transformation. God can take a caterpillar and make a butterfly. He can take sand and make a pearl. He can take coal and make a diamond. But there has to be that middle process that has to be walked through in order for that to come out. You take a coal, and I can't just put a coal on my desk and plan that in a year from now, it'll be a diamond. It has to go through the pressurization. And we have to go through that pressurization times in our lives. That middle process that we're walking through, but we're knowing all the way through it that God is able So I'm reading a book about a man that climbed Mount Everest. And I was fascinated um, with his story. So I started looking up some things about uh, the, the climb to Mount Everest. And it takes several years to even get you ready to even begin to make that trek. And I'm not talking like walking the dog you know, at nighttime. We're talking, it takes like six to eight hour days for one to two years to get you prepared, full backpack, so that you have the stamina that you're going to be able to do it. It takes seven to nine weeks to reach the summit. And it's only from base camp to the summit, only 12 and a half miles. Um, The youngest person to climb Mount Everest 13 years old. But more impressive than that, the oldest to to climb Mount Everest to reach the summit, 80 years old. Yeah, I'm starting yoga. 
because these knees would not, you know, at this age. I'm like, Lord, come on. I'm not complaining no more. I got to get up and get moving. Um, a double amputee has reached the summit, along with also a blind uh, gentleman that reached the summit. And there is one Sherpa, one of the guides, uh, that holds the world record. He has reached the summit 21 times. And on summit day, the day that you leave your last camp to get to the summit and back down again, can take up to 20 hours of hiking. Now, there are five base camps um, that they have. And the purpose of these camps is for the people to get acclim acclimated to their conditions. So I looked up the word acclimated, and it says this. To become accustomed to or familiarized by custom or use or habit to a new climate or environment, and it means to adapt. We've got to learn that when we are in a middle season of our life to adapt. And it doesn't have to be a foreign place to us. Because in those middle seasons, if we will acclimate ourselves to what is taking place, if we begin to adapt to the surroundings that we're in, knowing that God wants to do something with us right there, that we can't get too far ahead of what he wants to do, and we can't sit back and do absolutely nothing, but we can adapt to our surroundings. Now, when they go to climb, they climb to base camp. And they stay there for a few days. They get acclimated to the, you know, the altitude and to the, you know, the weather conditions, the cold, all those kind of things. And then after a few days or a week or so, they go to Camp 1. And they're there for a few days. They get acclimated to the conditions and less oxygen. And then where do they go from there? Not Camp 2. They go back down to the base camp again. They go back down there. They get acclimated again to their surroundings. And, and they're there, there for several days or a week. And then they go back up to Camp 1. And they keep doing this until they're acclimated to their conditions. See, um, you know, some places in those base camps that they have, you can't even see the summit of Mount Everest. Which is amazing because it's the tallest mountain in the world. You think that anywhere you go, you'd be able to see it. But because the way the mountains face and certain things, so they can't even see their goal. They can't see the summit that they're trying to get to. But yet every single day, even though they can't see where they're going, every single day is a day of preparation. Every single day is a day of acclimation. Every single day is a place of working. Every single day is a place where they're getting prepared, where they're dreaming about where they're going. That's what they're doing. Now, as they're climbing up Mount Everest, as they're getting higher and higher, they reach a place called the dead zone. And this place is where there's not enough oxygen for humans to breathe. So they always have to take their cans of oxygen. There has been recorded a couple of people that have actually done it without the extra oxygen, but most people need that extra oxygen. And along this part of the dead zone, Right now, there are over 200 dead bodies that are dotting the way on that hike up to the summit. And it's proof of the difficulty of that climb. But as I was thinking about it, I said, you know what? That's just like the enemy. 
That as we're trying to reach the goal that, that the Lord has put in front of us, we're trying to reach our future. We're trying to reach the destiny that God has for us. We're trying to reach that fulfillment that God has put on the inside of us. The enemy will always put out the dead things around you to remind you, oh, you're never going to make it. This is just too tough. Listen, if they couldn't do it, what makes you think you can do it? You know what? You're not as prepared as they were, I bet. And there are all these things that will come up that will try and make you afraid, that will try and make you turn back around and not fulfill your destiny, not fulfill that goal that God has for your life. And we've got to get really good at not looking at the dead things around us, but persevering through. The summit is the goal. But the most important part of the trek is not just reaching the summit. The most important part of the trek is those camps. It's where you wait. It's where you acclimate. It's where you prepare. It's where you grow stronger. It's where you rest. It's where you find the beauty that's around you. And it's where you build your relationships. See, we've got summits and goals and destinies and promises that just, they seem so far out of our reach. But we can't give up and we can't rush the middle season you're in. People that are climbing Mount Everest, they don't go, you know, hit base camp and say, well, I tell you what, tomorrow morning I'm up, I'll, I'll meet you up at the, at the summit, I'm gone. And yet we think that we can do those things in our life. Well, you know what, God, I don't like this middle season. I don't like the pressure that's going on here. I don't like the fact that I feel like you forgot about me and I'm tired of being in this place. No one's, you know, giving me any, you know, accolades for what I'm doing. And I just feel all these things and I feel like I'm getting too old. My promise time is going to run up before I can reach my, all these things that we go through and we're in that middle season of our life. But if we get too uh, far ahead of God, if we want to go by our timing and say, you know what, I, I feel like I'm prepared. I'm ready for this. And God is saying, no, I need you to stay. Just acclimate. Just stay right here. I got to teach you. I got to mature you. I got to do some things. And we get too busy and we say, no, 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 I know what's best for me. What's going to happen is you're going to reach the dead zone and that's where you're going to stay. So we got to be okay with the season that we are in. We got to wait on God. We got to get our power position. Harvard did a study. And this, is, this, uh, this blew me away. They, they did a study that said, um, if you get in the superhero position, you know, like Wonder Woman, Superman, and that is with your feet apart, shoulders back, hands on your hips, head up, and you do that for two minutes, the study showed that testosterone levels in men and women increase by 20%. And it also showed that the uh, cortisone, your stress hormone, decreases by 18%. Just two minutes of doing this. What if we did two minutes of this and we prayed while we did it? What if when everything around us is going haywire and the devil is raining terror upon your life, your children have gone crazy, your husband, you don't know if he's, you know, or wife, they just seem like they're not the same one. That boss all of a sudden has pinpointed you out to bring terror on you. Maybe your finances are overwhelming. Maybe you got a report from the doctor with some facts that you didn't want to hear. What if we just took the power position as we begin to just pray, God, I know in this middle season that I'm in, that you are a faithful, promise-keeping God, and I know you will deliver me. 
Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, that word wait does not mean I'm just going to sit in a chair and put my feet up and eat my Cheetos. That means wait, like a, like a waiter waits on, on, on a table. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to do whatever I can do in this middle season that I'm in. I'm going to wait on God. God, I'm going to get in your word. Lord, I'm going to pray like I've never prayed for before. I'm going to go minister to somebody else. I'm going to go love on somebody else. I'm going to serve in the house of God. Some of you feel like you are stuck in the middle and you're not moving and God is waiting on on you to just get up off your blessed assurance and do something in the house of God for somebody else. You want ministry, you want to be used, but you want to sit? No. Wait on the Lord. And, uh, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And as I close out, I want you to say this. I can't go back to where I was. I'm excited for my future. But I will embrace where I am right now. You're going to embrace the unknown, knowing that God has you. You're going to embrace the learning that you're going through because one day you're going to be a mentor. You're going to embrace the work of preparation so you can endure the next season. You're going to embrace the rest right before the run. And you're going to embrace the joys before they're gone. Don't get so consumed in this middle that you're in with your head down and you're complaining and you don't see what God can do in your life. But you know what? Find the joy. You know, they say when they're climbing Mount, climbing Mount Everest, it's, they got to remember even though I'm walking and, I'm, and I'm, I'm pushing my body to the limits, I got to look at the things that no one else gets to see. The beauty of, of creation. And that's what we have to remember. And not so, you know, there, there's so many things I can look back at with such great joy, but I need the joy now. And I need to be able to look around and find the joy. What is something that you can praise God about? In the middle, in the hard place, in the dead zone, what is the beauty of God in your life at that moment? Because you don't have to be in a middle season and not enjoy your life. Because this middle season that seems... You know, I just can't wait till I get to the next part of my life. Well, that next part, that also has a middle. So can we learn as we're going through how to be strong? Can we learn how to go through on the promises of God? Can we learn how to go through the middle relying on our Savior? Can we learn to go through building the relationships and waiting on God and, and enjoying the life that we have right now? Is it the life you've always dreamed it would be? Maybe not. But God is orchestrating something over here for you, for you to get excited about today. Amen. Amen.